So one evening, I convinced my wife and one of my teenagers to come with me. From the road, there was one little sign that just said, Oasis Ranch. Big concrete walls of vegetation hid what was inside. What we discovered blew us away. Welcome to The Outfall, where we share the backstories about our water world. This is Robert. Some stories here we seek out months in advance, while others just arrive, already gift-wrapped, ready to be opened. This one is the later. What we discovered inside those walls was not a Myrtle Beach-style putt-putt course filled with fake blue water, volcanoes, and other gimmicks. No, this was a water-filled oasis with plants and trees of all varieties, fish, a turtle, and a course that seemed like it was carved through solid canyon walls eons ago. After playing, I had so many questions, so I grabbed my handheld recorder and tracked down the owner. I'm John Woodruff, and I'm the owner-operator of the Oasis Ranch Mini Golf. Now, how would you describe your course to someone? It's a botanical garden with some golf in there. John Woodruff is an affable, down-to-earth guy, one of those guys that can talk to anyone with ease. We found a quiet place, and I hit record not knowing what I'd uncover. What he shared was a six-year journey in passion, patience, and perseverance. I think y'all enjoy it. And yes, water is central to this story. I grew up in Clemson. My dad was a professor there. I went to Clemson and studied landscape design and horticulture. And I uh, owned a, and operated a landscape construction company for about 35 years and built everyone else's dream backyard with the waterfalls and the ponds. And the, about 2014, I decided that I was getting old and I needed to start working on my dream landscape. So I looked around for some property and found this place, which is very close to my house within golf cart distance. And, um, drew out what I thought I wanted on a, an aerial photograph and got some heavy equipment to, to rough it in. And then uh, my crew and I started right out front here and just day after day, week after week, year after year, just kept going until it looked the way I wanted it to look. So how long was that? Six years on the course. So do you remember the first day when you first started this? I do. Started digging out the big pond. That was, I wanted a pond, a big pond. So yeah, wow. I had a heavy equipment in. I just love water. I've, I've built waterfalls and played in the creek when I was little, you know, made dams. And I've, I've just always loved playing and controlling water. So I made a pond and the waterfalls, and that's a big part of it for me is the water garden part of it. So. Well, and that's one thing that impressed me here, because usually, you know, maybe you'll have one little water feature, but water just is, is throughout. It's, it's everywhere. It's the oasis. That's the yeah. idea. That's the water. And, and as I was building, my whole idea was that this water has been coming out over the bedrock, a big monadnock or whatever was here before, and uh, it's carved its way down through the, through the bedrock. So all those arches and tunnels and curves and things are where the water has run in the past and carved its way down. And, and now we play golf down through the old riverbeds and, and around the edges of the lagoons that are there now. So a lot of people, once I explain that it's 
a water-worn landscape, they go, oh, I get it now. It, yeah. you know, what, before it was, what's that arch and why is there a tunnel in it? Right, right. But when you see what I was envisioning or know what I was, it kind of makes more sense, I think. Did you work your way up? Is that uh, how that? We worked all the way around and then vertically up. I wanted a lot of vertical height in the thing. So you feel like you're down in the oasis. And so uh, a lot of it is spontaneous creation. We would just start bending the rebar and I'd stand back and look and, we'd, and then we'd go to lunch. And when I'd come back, they'd go, what are we going to change? Because at lunch, you know, I'd think about what I had and, and what I wanted it to look like. So, And about 5,000 pictures a week so I could, you know, document yeah. and look at what I was doing along the way. Wow. Which have come in handy when I need to know exactly where that pipe ran under that rock. I can look back at an old photograph and, oh, that's where our plumbing ran. So. Did you anticipate it taking six years? Or oh, no. What, what was going through your head at that point? At my, the, the, I thought, oh, we'll just knock this out, you know, put it in, and I kind of knew what I wanted, and, oh, I was thinking maximum two years. So we got to the end of two years, and we were still out there in the mud working on drainage, and, oh, underground is another whole world there. There's drainage and irrigation and electricity and communication, and there's all of that underground. First, we're getting the big trees in because it takes heavy equipment to get in there and plant the big trees and the giant boulders and large things had to be brought in first and placed pretty much where I thought they would be and then everything formed around it. So if a tree got offset by three feet, that was okay. Just everything shifted three feet and we had three more feet on the other side to work with. So it was definitely spontaneous creation. It's just whatever it felt like that day, that's what we built. It was me. I'd have some low points, like, what am I doing? <laughs> did you, did you, did you, I, don't, I don't think so. I, would, I jumped out of bed every morning and ran down here. It was like, you know, it's, you can make anything you want. That's what, you know, and I'm just, a, I've always had to create things. I'm an artist and a, and a, a creator of things. So um, it was just heaven for me. As we were building it, people said, well, why don't you just hurry up and finish it? And I was like, okay, imagine this. I'm building an airplane, and you're going to fly in it. One of my wings isn't quite finished, and, and some of the windows aren't in yet. Should I just go ahead and open? And oh, no, no, you know. So I couldn't open until it was there. Everything worked together, and everything came together at the end. But we're not taking off early because we can't fly until it's all there. What have you learned through the years with dealing with water? It wants to get out of wherever you want it to be. It, <laughs> whether evaporating or leaking out or, or splashing out, it, water does not like to stay where you put it. So <laughs> you, you've got to uh, make it happy. Every water feature is totally different, and you've yeah. just got to, it's like a creature. Once it comes alive and you plug it in and it's, it's running, then you see where it's throwing water out or you right. see what's going on and you tune it. We call it tuning the waterfall. Once the water's coming out over the front, you add a rock or you take away and you tune it to look and be balanced the way you want it to look. So, That's yeah. And we go back through the waterfalls continuously and as algae grows or things come in, we'll tune it a little bit to make it look the way it's supposed to. I know she had koi in there. Mm. Did you, were you always going to have? I've, I've always had koi. I've got little ponds in my backyard and things, and I've always raised koi. 
both for my clients or, or traded with clients. And really? So that, uh, that was one of the things I knew I wanted in here was some place for my koi to have a nice big pond. So it's huge. It's, they, you know, the more you feed them, the more they grow. <laughs> and, and people feed them all day long out there. So. <sighs> Anything you have to do as far as water quality, or what do you do? I've got a giant gravel bed built into the main lagoon out there, and all of my water gets pulled through that gravel bed, and it has beneficial bacteria and uh, just the the process of being filtered through gravel, and that pretty much takes care of most of my my uh, water quality needs. I do a lot of planting in the water, which pulls my nitrates out of there and keeps the algae from having fertilizer to grow it. Um, but I try to uh, rely 90% on just that big gravel filter. They built uh, swimming pools that way now. They'll build a swimming pool and have a big gravel filter bed next and all the water. So you had done this before? Not done it, but just read about it enough to know that that's the way it need to be. I always had heavy gravel in the bottoms of my ponds yeah. because that's where the digestion happens. Right. And then I started pulling the water down through that gravel. And then I, through reading and looking on the internet, I saw the idea of a skimmer bed. It's a big, totally separate bed of gravel, but the water skims out of the main pond and down through that gravel before it goes back to the pump. So it's, how many gallons? I have uh, 60,000 in the main lagoon and about 7,000 in the smaller pond here. Now, do you have to kind of keep, I imagine, with evaporation? Oh, it's a continuous addition of water. Okay. I had a well dug out back here, and I put a solar pump down in the bottom with a solar panel. And it doesn't pump much, but it's a continuous pump okay, so out of the ground so I can continuously feed and then... Uh, Seneca Water and Light really likes me because I, I pump a lot of their water in. But when I do that, I have to remove the chlorine. So, so it's an either or. So you're either pumping from the well, and if it's not enough, then, then I supplement with. Because uh, on a 90 degree day with all these waterfalls splashing, and yeah, it's, it's just, just it's a big evaporator. You know? uh, how many gallons do you think you lose? Oh, uh, we add at least 300 to 400 gallons in the big pond every day, and out front here we'll add a couple hundred gallons. That's neat. I think most folks don't realize that, right? Oh, yeah. I've had clients that said, oh, my pond is leaking. And I said, well, how much are you losing? Oh, 10, 20 gallons a day. And I said, well, you've got a big waterfall that's really, you know, if you stand there with a squirt bottle and keep those rocks wet, you're going to use up 10 gallons of water. It, yeah. So it takes a while for people to understand that the, the water wants to get out and it's going to find a way out. So. Before we talk about his golf course, let's, let's just take a short break. Do you know where mini golf started and how big it got? I had no clue, but I read John Margolis's book titled Miniature Golf this past weekend. And let me share a little bit what I learned. You know, mini golf was homegrown here in the South. It was born in the late 1920s before the depression in a resort on top of Lookout Mountain on the border of Georgia and Tennessee. It immediately just blew up across the country. In 1930, there were 50,000 miniature golf courses throughout the country, played by an estimated 4 million people. Crazy. The New York Times reported that mini golf was replacing movies as the nation's fifth largest industry. Box office receipts reportedly were down 25% during mini golf's peak in 1930s. In fact, some studios, such as Warner Brothers, announced plans to build courses and convert 
unprofitable movie theaters into indoor courses. One year later, interest evaporated and courses disappeared, but only to resurface with the birth of suburbia. All right, I just had to share this with y'all. Let's get back to John. I knew I had to have 18 holes and I didn't want dinky small things and I wanted each hole to be its individual place. As you pass from hole one to hole two, there's sort of a divider there. And once you get on the two, you don't see three and you don't see one. You're, you're playing that hole and there's no one else there in that area with you. So, and then you move to another stage. I called them stages. So you'd move from stage to stage and it's like scenes in a movie or chapters in a book and you move through and it builds. At the beginning, there's really no water and it's pretty tight and you start playing through. But the farther into the course you get, you start encountering the creek because of waterfalls and then bridges. And by the time you're around to the end of the course, you're going behind the big waterfall. And so it builds and builds and builds. So you're not let down at the end. You're, you've climaxed with <laughs> visual stimulation by the end there. So what are some of the comments that you've heard as you walk around the course or the things that I, just- I love change. hearing what people say when they are, they're not in front of me going, oh, your landscape is so awesome and we really love it and you're, you know, la la la. I like to hear what they say to each other. So I walk through the course picking up trash and just out there all the time and I hear people going, look at that. Wow, Jim, Jim, come here, come here. You know, that just, that's when I know that they really love it because they're telling each other, come look at this. You're not going to believe this, you know. So that, that's my uh, uh, real reward is that people see what I put out there and they're, they're getting pleasure from it. So. That's awesome. So if you see me walking through the course, ignore me and just say nice yeah. things. Big shout out to John for sharing his story with us. Please make sure to check out the show notes to see some pictures of his oasis. We've even included a few behind the scenes pictures of his new 18 holes course, which he's currently building and is a few years from opening. I love his spontaneous creativity without blueprints and that passion that drove him for six years. If you're driving through Clemson, make sure you visit his personal oasis. Let us know. We may even join you for a game. Thanks again for listening to The Outfall and sharing your comments with us. If you enjoy our podcast, please help us and share the podcast with a friend. We'll see you next time.